This episode is brought to you by Feel Free from BotanicTonics.com. Feel Free is a small two-ounce shot made from kava and other ancient plants, and the feeling that it provides is incredible. It is euphoric. It gives you this sense of focus. It reduces anxiety, and it just puts you in a relaxed state in your body. Think of it as a plant-based magical elixir that can uplift your mood, increase your productivity, and give you the energy to do the things you want to do today. There are so many applications for when you can use Feel Free. A few examples are using Feel Free to get into a flow state before yoga, meditation, or exercise. People are using this as a kind of energy drink to go running for miles at a time. And it's also great for socializing. It just makes it easier to connect to people around you. There isn't this kind of background hum of anxiety anymore. It just really melts away. And that also makes it a great replacement for alcohol. So if you're ready to feel free, go to botanictonics.com and use promo code ZIAN40 for 40% off. Again, that's botanictonics.com, promo code ZIAN40, X-I-A-N 40, at botanictonics.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL.
All right, we are rolling, and I'm here with my friend Guru Don. I had a, a very powerful class with you in Austin a few months back. I, I noticed you were doing something with someone who I actually got certified with, which is Suri Bahadur. Yep. And um, yeah, me and Suri have uh, been connected for probably almost a decade now. Um, and I had a really amazing um, teacher training with him. And yeah, as I you know went through your class, uh, I left just kind of interested in, in how did you get involved in yoga? Uh, what is your history with yoga? Is it something that you found for any particular reason or were you almost born into it? I couldn't really get it a read when I was with you in person because it, it almost seemed like your whole family was into it based on the pictures I saw around the house. But yeah, I was curious. Uh, how did you come to this path? Because uh, it's a very interesting path of awakening. Okay, well, I'm going to massage your curiosity. So um, <laughs> let me let me date myself. So number one, I've been practicing and teaching Kundalini Yoga for over 51 years. Oh, wow. So yeah, you know, I grew up in the 60s. And here's what I can politely say about my participation of the 60s. I fully participated. Whatever was going <laughs> on, I fully participated, uh, certainly in the counterculture, certainly in the drug culture. Mm -hmm. And I had a pretty heavy five years of drug experience um, that um, I stopped in probably the late 1970, mm -hmm. five years of pretty heavy duty stuff, but, and we can go into this further, but it took me, once I stopped and yoga, mm -hmm. once I stopped, yoga found me probably, I don't know, seven, eight months later. But once mm -hmm. I started practicing yoga and going through, you know, physical cleanses, you know, all deep, lots of, lots of physical yoga, you know, meditations, everything else. It took 20 years mm -hmm. to clear my brain cells of those five mm -hmm. years of drug experiences. Mm -hmm. So we'll go into that a little bit later. So sure, sure. I don't know if you caught the nuance of what I said earlier. Yoga mm -hmm. finds us. When yeah. we're ready to open up, yoga finds us. So once I stopped doing the whole drug thing, yoga found me about seven or eight months later. And it was, and it was Kundalini Yoga. And um, basically, you know, I was kind of, I was floundering for about 20 years because mm -hmm. I, you know, I just had to clear my head and, and it took mm -hmm. a long time to do that um, mm -hmm. just to find where, you know, where I was best positioned in life to be. I did not know my really, my focus was, and it was really kind of an intentional and semi-intentional semi focus was just to get healthy physically yeah. and mentally. I was never yeah. concerned and yoga did not find me to become a, be a, to be a spiritual person. I already mm -hmm. was spiritual. Mm -hmm. So I just had to get myself healthy physically and mentally and then mm -hmm. I could start thinking clearly and then I could decide, you know, Mm -hmm. a clear pathway for myself moving forward. Right. But even within those 20 years, I practiced yoga every day and meditated. 
I was teaching, you know, a couple, three times a week, um, eating healthy, you know, became a vegetarian, all that good stuff. So that basically, and you can ask me questions about those 20 years, but yeah. in 1990, my, my head cleared enough to where I found a definitive pathway, but I'm going to pause for you to comment mm -hmm. or ask questions. Absolutely. Yes. Thank <sighs> you. I'm curious, what was it about Kundalini yoga in particular when you went to the class? Almost what attracted you to the class? Was it just a friend or did you read something about Kundalini and want to experience this energy? And, and once you found it, what did you love about it? Okay, good questions. I was, you know, nothing on the material plane attracted me to Kundalini yoga. It was like I had these invisible hands pushing me mm -hmm. to this. I mean, let's, again, my first class was in August of 1971. And I just mm -hmm. kind of found myself there. It was in a big field with 400 people. And the person who was teaching it never even told anybody, or maybe I didn't hear it, to take mm -hmm. their shoes off. So I did my very first class in mm -hmm. combat boots. <laughs> with my camouflage pants and jacket and everything else, hair and a ponytail. And what happened at the end of that class stayed with me to this very day. So they put mm -hmm. you into deep relaxation and I left my body. I had an out-of-body experience. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what galaxies I traveled to, but mm -hmm. when they said, come back, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, rub your palms together, you know, get the energy moving again externally. I knew I had had an out-of-body experience and I felt lighter, clearer, and more relaxed. And it was those feelings after the class that said, this works because yeah. I never felt clear I never felt, I was always a very anxious kid and um, I never had relief, but I got that from that class. So I'll tell you a little story. So mm -hmm. in uh, the summer of 1970, after I graduated from college, I went to Europe at $300 in cash in my pocket mm -hmm. and I was staying in hostels all the time. So I was hitchhiking all over the place. So I'm hitchhiking through the Pyrenees mountains from mm -hmm. France to Spain. Mm. So I'm up at about 8,000 feet and this is July and it starts to snow and there's a whiteout. <laughs> so with mm. the snow a couple hours later, I keep walking because cold. I only had a light jacket. So the snow disappears. And when it got clear, I was in front of this crystal clear lake. So where I was, it was like a mirror. I could see myself. And the next thoughts I had in my head was my brain cells are like that snowstorm. I can't see anything. Everything's vague. And I, when I saw that crystal clear lake, I said, that's what I want. Right. And then, and then a few months later, well, about eight, nine months later, yoga found me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I relate to that experience. Uh, for me, finding the path, it was because I, I actually had a spiritual awakening 
uh, through magic mushrooms. And I didn't intend to. I didn't know what they would do. I just kind of was like, hey, my band wants to do these. Let's do them. Um, we went to the forest and I had this experience almost like what you said, you know, you had traveled out of your body, you know, it was a very similar, powerful experience that I needed answers to. Cause it's like, I didn't know that could happen. I didn't know that existed, that there's other places out there or other dimensions, or I don't know what it was. My, I was struggling to find words for what I experienced, but one word that kept coming up in my search was kundalini, kundalini energy, kundalini awakening, kundalini arousals, all this and that. Uh, a few months later, I, I saw an ad that said kundalini is coming to San Antonio. Come try it. So I was like, okay, wow, Kundalini's coming. It's 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 finding me in a sense, you know. Uh, and then I went and I had that experience and definitely was interested. Um, I'll say I, it was a kind of a culture shock because of the mantras and the different l languages used and just the whole kind of container of it was something that I didn't uh, I didn't expect, but I didn't dislike clearly i loved it um because i went on to get certified and begin teaching myself but um it was uh i was kind of like where where is this coming from why is this so magical and why does it work um so i was wondering if you would speak to for a moment like why do you believe it works what are we doing when we practice these kriyas and meditations and mantras all right so remember that the way the body is built, there is a, a very Western anatomy type of you know, physiology, and then there's an Eastern anatomy physiology. So it's the Eastern physiology, and it's basically Chinese meridian lines and Chinese meridian points that gets activated when we do these conscious breaths. Now, all yoga has got that. But with Kundalini Yoga, because of the vigorous breathing that happens, you know, you've heard of Wim Hof and his, and his extreme breathing. Yeah. Well, Kundalini Yoga is not like that and not even close. But, you know, you've got breath of fire. You've got some other more strenuous breaths that work directly on putting that vitality that comes in with those breaths through meridian vessels. And the meridian vessels are mirroring the nerves and the nerve channels. So you're getting this extra vitality and it starts massaging and strengthening the nervous system, which brings more electricity. You also got the, in the lungs, you've got this nerve called the phrenic nerve, P-H-R-E-N-I-C. And you can actually, you can look that up. It's Western. It's mm -hmm. a phrenic nerve, and it's an inverted U. Mm -hmm. So the bottom of each lung is the bottom of the U, and then it comes up, and it connects at the back of the neck. And at the back of the neck, you have 12 pairs of nerves coming out of the back of the neck. The biggest mm -hmm. pair is the vagus nerves, mm -hmm. which has to do with our emotions, and there's books written on the vagus nerve. So when we're taking these deeper, more emphatic breaths, the phrenic nerve 
gets charged, more electricity. That electricity goes up the phrenic nerve, connects to the 12 pairs of nerves to the back of the neck, and then it shoots up into your brain cells. Mm-hmm. So there's just more electricity going on all over the place. And in your brain cells, you have your pituitary gland, you have your pineal gland, you have your hypothalamus gland, you have the limbic system. All of these things are basically electrical currents. Mm-hmm. Even the glands have electro, you know, electrical currents through them. So they all start getting activated. And those mm-hmm. activations of those glands that I mentioned mm-hmm. are the glands and they secrete more. And there are scientific studies about this, about meditation and what happens right. when those glands start secreting more. All those glands connect us to our intuitive senses, which are the senses beyond the five senses. And that's who we are. We're spiritual beings having an earthly experience. So when we get these five senses activated, we just know we found a whole nother part of us that we didn't think we had. We thought we were these limited beings with five senses, but we all know. And there's a book called Lisa written by Lisa Miller, PhD, Lisa Miller mm-hmm. called the awakened brain, which scientifically proved that spirituality and well-being are definitely connected. The more mm-hmm. spirituality, the more well-being somebody feels. And she had people hooked up with MRIs and her definition of spirituality is you had a belief that there was something greater than our own individual self. Mm-hmm. So you could be a church member. You could be, you know, a, um, just a, a non, a non churchgoer, but believe that we have, there are higher powers. So, but there are now science is catching up to the fact that we are more than just our limited body and our five senses. So this is why when you get into conscious breathing, there's physiological activations that trigger senses beyond the five senses. And that's why you're starting to get feelings, which lead to experiences that you can quiet the thinking mind. You can calm your heart. You can regulate your metabolism so that you can finally sit still and be with yourself. But it all starts on a physiological basis. Mm-hmm. How's that for a few words? I love that. I love that. I agree with that. Um, yes. So it's interesting because I, you know, I understand as as we discussed a little earlier that you know drugs would potentially weaken the nervous system. Um, but there's also something, and, and I think it depends on which compounds that we're discussing, <laughs> but, but for me it was, uh, and, and still to this day, I'm, I'm able to actually see the subtle body, the energy body, the nadis, the chakras, uh, these types of things with the use of certain plant medicines or psychedelics. So it's very affirming that these things are real when you can almost 
see them. You can very much sense them. What would you say about that? So let's let's take a bigger, broader look at this first before I go to, into that specific. Okay. So look, there is there is microdosing around. There's you know the use of psychedelics, which is rising. I'm mm-hmm. a proponent of microdosing and psychedelics for individuals who have extreme trauma, PTSD, you know, veterans or using microdosing and psychedelics in those cases, so they're preventative from people doing harm to themselves because there's so much in distress. Yeah. I'm also, how should I say, accepting of the fact that the very occasional use of a mushroom, for example, psilocybin, except, et cetera, on a microdose, occasionally, if you choose to want that, mm-hmm. it's probably okay. Mm-hmm. If you start using it more consistently, then it's a crutch and a distraction. Mm-hmm. So Matt, even what you said, you know, you can see chakras, you can see whatever it is, right? That's still a distraction. Because <laughs> remember this. We certainly we want out-of-body experiences to confirm and affirm, as what you said, that we are more than just, you know, the cells in our body. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point... You know, what is the, what's the goal of all this yoga stuff? Mm-hmm. What's the goal of really opening yourself up with the occasional microdosing? In my opinion, you know, I think everyone maybe has their own personal goals, but in my opinion, it's to create more harmony in your life. Um, and not even just this life, but our karmic baggage from past lives and the lives that we have yet to live to create more karmic uh, prosperity, so to speak. And, and, and Matt, I agree with that. But here's, it, this it also depends upon your definition of harmony in your life. <clears throat> Look, we're all searching for balance, right? Mm-hmm. Between our earthly self and our spiritual self. So <clears throat> harmony, in terms of the chakras, in my humble opinion, is this. You know, the, we're in a transitionary period right now. Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to last another 20 years, at least of the astrology <clears throat> that I read. What was, was that all the major decisions on the planet for centuries and centuries was from the head. Mm-hmm. That was not harmonious created tons of imbalances. Mm-hmm. Where we're transitioning to is that the major decision-making on the planet, where we're headed, is going to be from the heart. Mm-hmm. That's harmony. Now, but the heart chakra cannot be isolated. The heart needs to be connected <clears throat> to the two twilight zone points in the body for mm-hmm. balance. So the two twilight zone points in the body are your third eye point, 
which represents the heavens, mm-hmm. and the navel point, which represents the earth. Mm-hmm. We are on the planet Earth, but we're also he- these heavenly beings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want to open your heart fully and have don't have the um, don't have the wherewithal to create boundaries for yourself, it's still unbalanced. Mm-hmm. Harmony. How do you create harmony? You create harmony from proper communication from emoting, from not being afraid to, you know, face your painful, um, painful wounds, painful emotions, and avoiding getting the skill set to actually deal with all your, you know, inner pain. Then you start getting harmony because your throat chakra needs to be engaged for harmonious communication. And look, your throat chakra is right between the heart and your third eye point. And what's coming out of your vocal cords, out of your throat chakra, is basically the state of affairs at your heart center and your third eye point. And again, your heart center needs to connect, be connected to the navel also. So this, you know, mm-hmm. just being saying harmonious, harmonious is a, is a complex formulation to mm-hmm. get clarity of communication to be forthright enough to discuss in a neutral manner, mutual expectations and clarity to how you want to live wholeheartedly. And this is from Brene Brown in order for yourself to be in harmony with the vibrational aspect of what exists on the planet. I mean, there's a whole array of that. And yes, you know, look, here's where my, microdosing is a trend and it's going so, as, so far as, and th- I see these advertisements on social media where we're, gonna, where we're going to microdose first and then we're going to do a yoga class. And it's like, that's like saying, you know what? I'm going to have a drink of wine first or I'm going to have a beer first and then I'm going to do a yoga class. Mm-hmm. It needs to be much more regulated in terms of <clears throat> the environment that you're engaged with that, who's the facilitator of that? What is a, what's the range of a microdose? And here's my internal joke, Matt. When I did my five years of drugs, forget about microdosing. I was always macrodosing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah. and on top of that, what I get from my daily yoga and meditation practice, I don't, I, I get the same effect that I got from what, you know, and you described it well with seeing chakras or this, whatever. I get that from my breath, mm-hmm. opening up my meridian vessels, sitting still, clearing my mind, calming my heart so that my thinking mind goes way the heck down. My intuitive mm-hmm. mind goes way the heck up. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm a different being at that point. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I can get the yeah. same exact effects naturally through breath, et cetera, et cetera. But again, everybody's different, as you said. 
-hmm. the occasional microdosing, the occasional mushroom, the occasional, whatever it is. When I say occasional, there's a tendency to not make it occasional. Sure, sure. Because look, you know, you're getting these pleasant experiences and then you go down that road of, well, that's my vehicle to get there. I'm just going to use that vehicle more damaging to your nerves and your nervous system. Sure, sure. Yeah, what what everything you're saying there is making me think of is that uh, the spiritual path isn't a path, it's a staircase. And, you know, I think psychedelics might be one of the stairs, but when you're ready to leave that stair and go on to the next one, you'd no longer need that. But you can't get, at least for not everyone, sometimes you can't get to that next stair without some type of aid. And I think that's why these things are trending. That's why these things are becoming on the front of Times Magazine now. And like, I've seen cannabis, I've seen mushrooms on Times Magazine. They would have never used to post that, you know. So it is in the ethos, uh, the zeitgeist of the world right now. Um, But it always has been. It's just been a little uh, under wraps you know it's been kind of a, a secret um and for good reasons because these things are very powerful and in the wrong hands can cause damage and i agree or with the I wrong person who has who has mm-hmm. a genetic and family history of um of being obsessive over certain things right and you take that tra- so after one class a few months ago, I had this 30-year-old woman come to me, who I know very well because she comes to my classes a lot. And she, we were talking about this exact topic. So she mm-hmm. said, you know, I stopped smoking weed. And she said, here's the reason. Mm-hmm. Made me, it made me feel good, just all the reasons that we're talking about, Matt. But she yeah. said, when, I, when, the, when the effects wore off, yeah. and here was her punchline, and I agree with her. My problems were still there. Yeah. So because our problems aren't going away until we face them with clarity, harmony, Mm -hmm. and and this is Brene Brown stuff, and the wherewithal to not avoid them but to face them head on. With a nervous right. system that is strong, look, you can have the best clarity and the best, best vision you'll ever want to get, whether it's from mm-hmm. meditating or from you know, microdosing. Mm-hmm. You still need a nervous system to get from point A to point B on the planet Earth. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, I want to jump into some other topics too, but the last thing <laughs> I'll just say, because it, it came to mind though, was that, I believe you're correct. People need to face these things, but so many people have so many barriers built up against actually looking at the wound that needs to be looked at. And in certain cases, not every case, but in certain cases, some of these medicines, I will even spout out MDMA, the heart medicine, also known as ecstasy, but MDMA is the pure chemical, is allowing people to process the trauma, see it without judging it, and and understand it and put it in a place, categorize it almost, put it into like an area of their mind that they've worked through now, and they start to get relief from this trauma. 
And it's not that they can't talk about it without the MDMA, but they can't process it and they can't see the details of the memory that was the trauma. Now, this compound I'm referring to somehow or another allows us to remember, in many cases, memories that we have purposefully deleted or like trauma has made it such that we can't remember it anymore. We've blocked it out. We've blacked it out. So many metaphors for why we just can't uh, remember it. And we don't know how that program is running us and making us create these decisions in our life that are trauma informed, but we're not remembering where that trauma came from. We're completely detached from it. And just talking, quote unquote, uh, isn't deep enough for us to reach the level of trauma and process it and bring it out the other side. And I'm not saying start doing MDMA every weekend and process your trauma and make it a party. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying in certain cases, um, for us to get that clarity and to be able to deal with our problems, like your, your friend there had said, we need some assistance and we almost won't believe other people because we've built these defense mechanisms up. We won't believe the therapist. We won't believe the yoga guide because no one can show you these things, but your own self and your own psyche. So I'll, I'll pass it back to you. So Matt, Matt, I agree with you with the preface of in some cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. People have very deep-seated things, and in some cases, what you're talking about is a vehicle to get vision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, you know, they're not doing ecstasy or whatever when they're 73 years old. <laughs> That's awesome. Very funny. Okay. Well, thank you for, try, try, for going down that rabbit hole. Funny. I try to be light. Yes, absolutely. Um, so... Another thing I, I wanted to mention is I'm curious um, what you what you know what you believe the history behind this yoga is and how far does it date back and and what other maybe uh, where does it stem from and you know because yoga has a lot of mythology you know from like Shiva right like Shiva being the Adi Yogi the original Yogi the one who brought yoga to the humans of the world. Um, there's so many lineages and so many ways that they say yoga was brought to us as a practice. I have my own belief that it's a backwards engineering of ecstatic states. So as these yogis and seekers would find themselves in ecstasy without psychedelics through the actual spiritual rigorous practice, they would find themselves doing these kriyas automatically. And then someone else seeing them saying, what are they doing? It's like, we don't know. You know, like, what is that? We've never seen that movement. And, and we go ask them, what is that? He's, like, He's almost like, I don't know. I don't know what I was doing. I was in an ecstatic state. And I just had, and that came to me, that flowed through me. Now, if I want to get back to an ecstatic state, perhaps I could do that same thing and it will help me get there. That's the way I kind of, understand what yoga is but but i'm curious what your thoughts are a on that but b on just like the history and the lineages and how it came to us and how we maybe discovered it um let me say this there is a history of yoga whether it's the Mm -hmm. upanishads you know the bhagavad gita i mean all these things that have mythological you know 
um, parts to it. <laughs> so here's a joke. You ready for the joke? What's the difference between history and mythology, Matt? Time's up. <laughs> the difference is mythology is true. Mm, I love that. So, you know, I really don't care how it started. Mm -hmm. I just care that it is. Yeah. Now, you know, the yoga started, look, even the Upanishads, the first time even Kundalini shows up is like 2200, you know, uh, 2200 BC. Mm, so there yeah. was stuff going on back then. And right. then back then, you know, it was because obviously the level of, you know, it was only crude communications. There was a teacher and a student, and he had this rigorous, you know, pathway mm -hmm. in progressions to get advanced. And it got, it, just like the, well, it, it got, how should I say, distorted, where teachers were raised on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. And that there was a hierarchy then, right? the teachers mm -hmm. and everybody else, mm -hmm. the wise people and the unwise people, mm -hmm. you know, the, so that has, it's all changing at this point in time. Mm -hmm. It's a helpful initially to have your, a, a teacher of yoga to help you move along. But we're talking about 2022 and beyond, 2023 and beyond now. Yeah. And you kind of touched on it a little bit. We are our own teacher. Mm -hmm. The only difference between, let's just say, me, mm -hmm. I, got a, I have a lot of yoga experience. I have a lot of technology information, technological information. Mm -hmm. But it's still just me. So I did, a, I did an interview a few years ago, and somebody said, who the heck are you? Mm -hmm. And I said, here's who I am. I'm a human being first that needs to emote, share, and live wholeheartedly, and as you said, in harmony. Mm -hmm. Then I happen to be a yogi, and lastly, I happen to be a teacher. It goes in that order. If I can't do the human thing well, I'm not gonna do the yogi thing well, and I'm certainly not gonna do the teacher thing well. My whole philosophy mm -hmm. in teaching is, I'm there as a messenger. Mm -hmm. Let me give deliver my message, whatever that's gonna be, I'm there, I'm available for guidance, but you know what? It's right here, we're still on the same, I'm a human, they're a human. I go to the bathroom, they go to the bathroom. Right. People, I don't even like to call people who come to my classes students. I like to call them people who attend my classes. Mm -hmm. I don't want to fall into this trap of this hierarchical teacher student thing. It's not going right. that way. You know, when they, right. the, the zodiac sign Aquarius, you know, that whole famous song from the 60s, we, you know, the age of Aquarius, right? Yeah. Yep. The eight, the definition of the zodiac sign Aquarius is three words. We the people. Mm -hmm. 
No more top down. It's all going to be bottom up. That's what we're changing to. Yeah. So I'm yes, I, there's, there are people like myself who need to deliver certain technological things, but mm-hmm. look, my biggest mistake was giving up my power to a teacher. Mm-hmm. My best advice to somebody is don't give up your power. Mm-hmm. Seek guidance, seek advice, but don't give up your power. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, one thing that I, I've learned through my yogic studies is is guru means bringer of light or remover of darkness. It doesn't mean like the guy that you have to always ask for their permission to, you know, kind of be on your own path. All right. So I agree with Matt. His guru got personified. Guru is anything that takes us from darkness to light. And that could be a dip in in Barton Springs. Mm -hmm. That could be a swim in the ocean. That could be sitting along a river. Mm -hmm. It got personified, which, you know, again, distorted the imbalance and created a power structure. Mm -hmm. Would you say you have a connection to quote unquote God and that is the ultimate guru? Or what would you say is that inner guidance system that we seem to, it seems to give us intuitive nudges and, and point us in the right direction? And, and, you know, most people I would think, you know, in the simplest minded way is to think it's God. But, you know, as we get more technical, there are terms that have been thrown out like guides or um the diamond from greek mythology which is this kind of like part of you that knows what it's meant to be but it doesn't really reveal itself it's up to you to like seek it out um what would you say is like the ultimate thing that's trying to teach us and push us through and 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 do you have a relationship with that and what would you call it (laughs) Here's here's what's trying to push us through all of our failures trials and tribulations, being this upset, distraught, unhappy, those are the things that are pushing us through. And look, you know, I'm a follower of many thought leaders, whether it's Eckhart Tolle, Abraham Hicks, Brene Brown, Gabor Mate, I could go on, right? Right. We, in essence, is life itself. And because of our limited brain, we think life is just on this planet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There was a quote from Eckhart Tolle uh, that I, and I I, I quote these people kind of as my theme of each class I teach. But Mm -hmm. it was a theme, uh, there was a quote from Eckhart Tolle is that when we die, it strips everything out from us who we are not. Right. Because whether it's the book Conversations with God, let me go back a sec. The opposite of birth is death. Mm -hmm. The opposite of life, there is no opposite. Life is timeless. Mm -hmm. We just happen to be taking a pit stop in a human body. Yeah. So the mind is the elephant in the room. 
That's what gets us unhappy. That's what gets us um, thinking we're small, we're not enough, we're, we're limited. Mm-hmm. So to me, and I always end my classes with a meditation because one of my favorite definitions of meditating is potty training the mind. Mm-hmm. If you can control your thoughts, again, you have two minds. You have the thinking mind, the intuitive mind. If you can quiet that thinking mind down, the intuitive mind rushes in and there begins the experiences of we are life itself, which means mm-hmm. we are G-O-D. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's no separateness. Right. But the mind thinks there's a huge separateness. Right. It's weird, you know, to people that have had this experience, you know, we're speaking, uh, we understand each other. You and I, we understand there's no separateness. There, It's all one. God is the thing that's animating this whole thing. So therefore, it's all God. The window behind you is God. The, the roof above your head is God. You're God. You know, uh, the cat, the dog, the bird, it's all God. But like to people that don't, know that how can they possibly know it you know can I tell like you how, how they could possibly yeah. know it please having an out-of-body experience listen right. I'm, a, I'm as linear as the next person mm-hmm. but i'm also as spiritual as the next person they need an outer body experience so i, I went to the, i was invited to this house party where i was the guest speaker so i was talking mm-hmm. about out-of-body experiences to these group of people after dinner and they're all looking at me like wide-eyed, like what? <laughs> so after I'm done, one of the guests, this woman comes up and said, I need to talk to you right now. <laughs> I have out of body experiences and I've had nobody to talk to about this. Mm-hmm. You need to get out of you know, your brain, you need to get out of your life story, which is dictated by your brain cells that we're limited beings and we're never enough. You need to, mm-hmm. look, beliefs come from experiences or beliefs come, they come from experiences, whether the experience of somebody telling you stuff and you believe it, or the experiences of actually having these feelings and you're going to get beliefs from that. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, by the way, I'm a big fan of the book called Breath by James Nestor, written, okay. written in 2020. I haven't read that one. Okay, nice. If you can slow your breath down to eight breaths or less per minute, your physiology changes, your metabolism changes, and then you totally. get different experiences. Well, what you were talking about, the occasional you know, microdosing, mushrooms, whatever that's going to be doing, Everybody, as we talked about it, everybody needs a vehicle mm-hmm. to have an out-of-body experience so that they come back with feelings which will then gear into beliefs, which one of those beliefs are, whoa, <laughs> I just connected with the universe in a way that I have never done so in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing to change the planet. Look, it's, it's Malcolm Gladwell. It's tipping point. 
It's like a 3% of the population just has to start vibrating someplace. Things change on the material plane. So Mm -hmm. some people, whatever their karma is, they're in their five senses and that's what their karma is. Other people are embracing change, doing this, yoga, mushroom. You know, they're going to have different opinions and feelings. Mm-hmm. And I believe there's going to be enough of those people to move the world into a more harmonious vibrational state, which will then get translated into a material harmonious state to start creating all these macro imbalances race, gender, economics, politics, climate, Mm -hmm. you name it. But as we Mm -hmm. heal and balance ourselves out, that is going to be proportional to how the planet heals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We don't have Um, to convince everybody. Wow, and that's good. That's good to know. Um, Because sometimes it feels like an uphill battle because it's like, can really 8 billion people or however many, you know, uh, need to get on the same wavelength. And what you're saying is not really, it's just even 3% of us. Is that what you That's the Malcolm Gladwell theory. Yeah, I like that. I believe that. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, CEO of General Motors about a year and a half ago, she, this woman, said by 2030, all General Motors cars are going to be electric. Mm -hmm. Where the heck did that idea come from? (laughs) That's just one person. Oh, yeah, that's true. I just read yesterday that China, well, the UN did a study that the ozone layer should come back to what it was, you know, from 100 years ago, by the end of the century. Why? Because China eliminated all of those chemicals that go into the air in their mm-hmm. country over the last X amount of years. Mm-hmm. It's like, where did that come from? Came from some, a couple of people at the top of the you know chain. Right, right. I mean, look, even in the United States, we just passed this big you know climate change bill. Where did that come from? A group of people in power, I mean, but it came from this vibrational thinking. Right. So that's awesome. It is, it seems, it is an uphill battle. And that's why you need to do something every day to recharge and replenish yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's your physical self, that's your mental self, and that's your spiritual self, which is why I like doing Kundalini Yoga. Once mm-hmm. I'm done with that, in the morning, and I'm done by seven o'clock in the morning every day. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm charged, fresh, ready to go again. Mm-hmm. That's me. Totally. There are other people doing Wim Hof stuff. There are people dipping in Barton Springs. There's lots of people on this planet doing things to recharge and refresh and heighten their vibratory electromagnetic field. Mm-hmm. So these material things start happening which will start fixing the imbalances on the planet. And yes, mm-hmm. we got a long ways to go. Totally. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think it's um, it's about getting, yeah, the right people to understand these concepts. And then at the top of the chain, they can pass down, you know, look, 
maybe now yoga is accepted in schools. You know, we know it's kind of been seen as almost a religion and, and so many of them aren't, so many schools aren't enabling the practice of yoga, meditation, mindfulness, breath work, these things. Like perhaps if someone in the schooling system near the top of that chain, you know, starts to have these experiences and starts to see the benefits, maybe we can see some change. And I, and I don't know if that's like per area, it's a different law or if it's just like one person in the U.S. I'm not so sure. Catch, but. but catch this, Matt. Let's just take the, the CEO of General Motors. And I don't know mm-hmm. this. Maybe mm-hmm. her daughter practices yoga and at the kitchen table there when they go. have breakfast every day, she's talking to mom about mm-hmm. we need to have electric cars all the time. Right. Who knows how it's coming about? That's true. That's true. Yeah. You just want it to come about. But if you start doing studies about how it came about, I think you'd be surprised that a lot of it is from the bottom up influencing the top people. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So I'm curious. Um, so what you're making me think is, you know, it's good to have guides like yourself available to the people seeking the support, seeking the technology, seeking the container. Um, But the question is, I know a lot of yogis, including myself, it's almost like we're so humble, we don't really want to show ourselves. We don't really want to show off, right? It's like we're just these yogis. Like being a yogi is almost a personal path. But how is it that we can respectfully market ourselves to more people to be able to create more change in the community and for the right people to begin seeing you and showing up and maybe learning something and taking it back to their life and teaching people in their lives. So you're talking about people like yourself? Like teachers, you know, people that are uh, interested in yoga, certified in yoga, maybe it's breath work, maybe it's sound bowls, maybe it's gong, it's any type of person bringing a container that's going to like help other people. Well, how do you think we can rationalize like the marketing of ourselves and our service? Because sometimes it seems like an egoic task and, and we're over here trying to subdue the, the ego with these meditations. Like, Hey, stop talking in there so much, you know? (laughs) Well, let me say this. There's the unhealthy ego and there's a healthy ego. So, Mm -hmm. There's a Brene Brown quote, which is, and this quote is the foundation of of my heart-centered yoga teacher training course I'm teaching. And here's the quote. Mm -hmm. All, before I get to the quote, all the stuff that we're doing, the yoga stuff, you know, the breathing stuff, the journaling stuff, the microdosing stuff, all this, all of it goes into this quote. And we, as humans, we face this, situation every single day which is embodied in this quote and here's the quote i am worthy as is right now no ifs Mm. if you got something to say say it and here's the thing we all have something to say that's worthy Mm -hmm. we're just on a pathway to again Stop the mind from convincing us otherwise. And we're human beings. We're going to have doubts. So in terms of managing myself, it's, it's just 
arranged. So on any particular day, I would like to believe more often than not that I am worthy as is right now, no ifs. Mm-hmm. And maybe 30% of the time, I'm not going to feel that way. But 70% of the time I do. Mm-hmm. But 70% of the time when I do, I know that I have something worthy to say from my experiences. But everybody, mm-hmm. everybody's life story is worthy. I mean, I love talking to people and listening to their life story. It's just unbelievably fascinating. Mm -hmm. Traumatic, but also unbelievably fascinating Mm -hmm. that, you know, look, we each have unique DNAs. We have unique life stories. Mm -hmm. So we need to get out of ourselves. We were trained to think we're small, not enough, and we don't have influence. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite. And hopefully, through these experiences that we've been talking about, we more and more feel that we have something to share. And that is this 3% tipping point. Right. Yeah, I like that. Um, one thing that, that did come up though, is like, and I, and I already almost know the answer to this question, but I'm just curious, like how you would say it, which is, you know, for those people that now, like, let's say we're marketing ourselves, we're putting ourselves out there with spiritual ideas. Uh, someone like you at some point went from not wearing a turban to wearing a turban people are going to misunderstand us. They're going to be almost weirded out, afraid, just judging, judging, think they thinking that what is up with these people? Why, why, like what changed in him? What's, what's different about it? This type of idea. How can we rationalize to ourselves? I'm on the right path. And even if I'm losing this or that, or this friend or that family member or whatever, because of, this new way I'm embodying myself and this, this new mission I have to bring the spiritual vibrations to the community. Yeah. How, how can we rationalize with ourselves that, you know, Hey, this is okay. You know, and how, how did you do it? You know, you went through this process. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. It's a, and it's a process. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, but here's the thing that I learned if I can just be me and I had no idea that I was going to look like this, right? Ever mm-hmm. until I look like this. And then I agree with you from lots of years, I was trying to rationalize things, right? Mm-hmm. At this stage. And let's just say it's even over just only over the last seven years. I'm just vibrating. I don't have to, I'm not rationalizing anything. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, when I verbalize things or just when I'm just standing still or going places, my vibration is at a certain level that I don't even have to say anything. Mm-hmm. And some people, again, as we talked about, they're just not ready. They're just never going to be ready for the spiritual side 
So I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to even get engaged into the rationalization pattern because that's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Electromagnetically, there are certain people that will come to me, for example, or you, whatever it's going to be, because you got something mm-hmm. to say that's connected to their electromagnetic field from your electromagnetic field, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Got it. You know, my on a marketing level. I just want to be as clear, direct, and effective as I possibly can in terms of delivering the technology that I that I know works. Mm-hmm. Totally, I like that. It's it's you know, it's weird. Like the 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 interpretation I gathered from what you just said is it's it's almost binary. And not to be all this minutia of thought about. It's like vibrate, do what you do, see what happens is almost what you're saying. And then the other term is kind of, yeah, it's still in the mind. It's still thinking through these wishy-washy relationship situations, you know, and some people just care more than others about how they're perceived or how their friendships are going to change when a certain life change comes to a person. Um, for example, I've heard this used many times. A lot of times when someone stops smoking weed or stops drinking, they realize, oh, all my relationships were pretty much, we were trauma bonding and I don't really want to hang out with them. They don't really want to hang out with me now that I'm not smoking weed or I'm not drinking or I'm not, uh, or one of them didn't. And it's like, what do we even talk about now? That's an interesting place to be. Correct. Um, well, it's correct. I've had, yeah. look, there's a number of people in my classes that are either in Alcoholics Anonymous, Drug Anonymous, you know, all those various things. So, and they talk yeah. about, yeah, they thought that stopping that stuff that we just talked about, drugs, drinking, mm-hmm. life would be very, very boring. Mm-hmm. That they're boring. What are you going to talk about? What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Um, if they can stop long enough, they're going to find that there's a pretty big world out there that's pretty adventurous. Totally. I resonate with that. Um, to kind of move into the, the last chapter of the conversation, who do you think yoga is for? Is it for everyone? Is it for certain people? And what do people get out of it when they come to your class, for example? Like, what do you feel like they're walking away with so people look i talk to a lot of people on in terms of the yoga realm Mm -hmm. very few people ask me well give me a bunch of exercises to help me everybody's Mm -hmm. saying i can't control my thoughts help me out Mm -hmm. the physical part of yoga is to relax your body and to open meridian vessels for energy to move through you Mm -hmm. still got to deal with your mind Yoga will relax you, but you still need to have the wherewithal and the practice of focusing and concentrating, which as you said earlier, whether it's microdosing, mushrooms, whatever it is, right? All of a sudden you remember all the pieces from your trauma, right? Mm -hmm. That takes focus and concentration. That focusing and basically (laughs) the microdosing does it for you. Mm-hmm. But yoga, you know, you're gonna have you have to go through certain 
steps. And it's all about, okay, focus on your body here. Do the focus on your breathing here. Concentrate on your inner. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that is practicing, focusing, and concentrating. If you want to be a better swimmer, what are you going to do? You practice swimming. Mm -hmm. If you want your focus and concentration to be more fine-tuned, you practice focusing and concentrating Mm -hmm. so that a thought comes up and then you can pause. First of all, you can be aware of that thought. Well, a feeling comes up and it doesn't make you feel good. Mm-hmm. So then you can pause your breath, have enough focus and concentration. Well, where did that feeling come up from? And mm-hmm. I've been, I've had three and a half years of therapy ending in the middle of 2018. Mm-hmm. And I have to monitor myself. And this is what people want. Was that my that was that feeling that made me uncomfortable right now? Is that my three year old self getting triggered, or is that my adult now self getting triggered? It's all of this. It's pausing, and to pause needs practice to stop the mind from its total busyness. The opposite of busyness is stillness. So you need to practice stillness where there's focus and concentration to potty and train and clean out your brain so that when you have these life situations, you on a dime, you can go just do one inhale and go, oh my God, that's why I felt so shitty right now. Mm-hmm. Somebody triggered me And then you can go back and go, oh, it wasn't really my three-year-old self. It was something right now that I have to deal with. Mm -hmm. Because if it was my three-year-old self, I don't want to be triggered in the present. And I also have to talk to my three-year-old self like, Mm -hmm. you're okay. We've been through this for lots of different times. I'll take care of you. Mm -hmm. But if it's my present self is, who the hell's going to take care of me? I got to figure that out. So people want much more. Yes, physio- physiologically, you got to get relaxed. But the biggest issue is, and the elephant in the room, is, is the busyness of the mind. And the mind, by the way, created time. Mm-hmm. Past and future. Right. This is Eckhart Tolle. It is never not now. Anything that the mind categorized in the past is just a memory, a trace memory now, but it was a present moment that it's tracing that happened and it's moved to the present. Right. What prohibits us from being in the here and now, and people want to be in the here and now, they want to be clear. They want to be effective. They want to be alert. They want to be sharp is number one, the grievances of the past events that happened to us, Mm -hmm. which we need to deal with. And what also prohibit us from being in the present is this wishing that there's going to be some future event that's going to give us more happiness, more joy, more fulfillment. 
And yes, we need to have a vision of our future. And once you have a clear vision of how you want to be, you need to take that back into the present and start working on it. So it all comes back. Look, Baba Ramdas wrote the book, Be Here Now. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about, be, everybody talks about be here now. Mm-hmm. That's what people truly want. And if, and if they're just getting physiological relief from what most yoga is, they're still not going to have that potty training experience of just sitting with yourself with no distractions and dealing with your stuff. Mm-hmm. Love that. Well said. Um, was it IFS that you were working with? I, what's internal IFS? Family, uh, internal family systems is a therapy style. No, I had a somatic therapist. Okay. It's the same thing though that you were talking about. So she, she maybe is researched in that or maybe it's just yeah. similar path, yeah. but it's definitely about identifying that inner child and, and these different archetypes of ourself that comes out at different times and kind of giving them a name and understanding what they are so that you know how to work with them as they come up and not just wonder, why am I over here? Why am I over there? Like where, who am I? What's happening? You know, like you're able to process a little better, like what's being triggered or what's coming out of you for what reason, you know? Right. And that's step one. And then step two, which is Brene Brown, you know, words matter. And the more you can articulate your feelings from what's going on in your heart, mm-hmm. the higher probability that you're going to be able to uh, manage it and, um, be more effective in managing those emotions. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, to invite people to, you know, your space and, and what offerings you have, how would you, uh, you know, invite them to check out your work or, or where to find you and all that on the internet? I'm gonna, so I have three studios that I teach in. I'm going to mm-hmm. say it's slow. First one is flow yoga. And the website is flowyogatx.com. Mm-hmm. The second one is austinbodycollective.com, austinbodycollective.com. And the third one is Shunia Yoga Collective, Shunia, S-H-U-N-I-Y-A, Yoga Collective. And my Instagram, which I'm... And, and Facebook. So my Instagram is Guridan Yoga, G-U-R-U-D-H-A-N Yoga. And Facebook is Guridan Kalsa, K-H-A-L-S-A. So mm-hmm. I post almost, I post just about every day. And what I post, mm-hmm. I have a theme from my class on a whiteboard. So I take a picture of that and then I do a 30 second reel after that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and if you want to get on my email list because I also have certain other events like community community gathering events, gong mm-hmm. symphony stuff. So my email is Gurudan K at Gmail. G-U-R-U-D-H-A-N-K at mm-hmm. Gmail. And my website, <laughs> my website, mm-hmm. GurudanYoga.com. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, don't leave yet. I am going to pause it, but but don't leave because it has to keep loading. But um, thank you so much, Gurudan, for being here. I really appreciate the wisdom you shared and 
definitely enjoyed the container that you created when I came to that event, and I look forward to more. Um, so yeah, once again, just thanks for being here. You're welcome, and Matt. Thank you for your uh, articulate commentaries and questions. It certainly helped me, you know, make it easier to just to present and appreciate what you're doing on your podcast. Thank you very much. You're welcome.